Hey guys, Justine here. I was super excited to see Zuby listed as an upcoming guest on John's podcast and wanted to take a minute to tell you why, as well as a bit about him. Zuby, or known as Zuby Music, is a musician, author, speaker, coach, and of course, Bitcoiner, who is handing out some much-needed truth talk with his own positive twist and infectious grin. In an age of extreme PC culture, Zuby is questioning the narrative, pushing back against the madness, and standing up for what he believes in all while encouraging and empowering others to change their lives for the better through his fitness tips, inspirational writings, and motivational coaching. This self-made dude is using his platform to be a positive voice of reason and inspiration in a time we really do need it most. He is a perfect mix of blunt honesty and relatable down-to-earth charm, and he is taking the world by storm. That is why he's one of my favorite people to follow, and I am really looking forward to this interview. I hope you are too. I've been following you for a while. I appreciate the time. I know you've been uh, you've been speaking about and to uh, about Bitcoin and to Bitcoiners a little bit lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I followed you on your podcast, and uh, I just wanted to have you on today to uh, to have a chat, pick your brain a little bit, and uh, see what was up. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, that's that sounds good to me, man. So um, one of the you know I, no particular direction with this conversation, but I, I was listening to. We both had the. Um, shall we say, pleasure of interviewing John McAfee. Um, I know you spoke to him recently and yeah. I actually, I, I interviewed him in person a couple of years ago and, um, you know, obviously infamous and very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your take impression on, uh, on that discussion? Yeah, well, it was interesting. It went, uh, it went in a direction I wasn't necessarily expecting it to. We ended up having a big conversation and somewhat of a disagreement about the fundamental concept of morality but um yeah that was interesting you know I, I like i love those kind of conversations i'm very very open-minded and i'm always curious to have my i'm always open to have my beliefs challenged and to be presented with different ideas and opinions and stuff like that and um yeah i, I think uh in hindsight i think i understand what he was what he was getting at um and i under i agree with it to a degree i disagree with it to an, another degree um, but yeah, it was a ultimately an interesting, enlightening, and somewhat challenging conversation as well. Yeah, John's a bit of an enigma. You know, he he. I guess the Bitcoin community has sort of a love hate relationship with him uh, because you know he, at, at certain points he's, uh, you know, he he's a supporter of Bitcoin, and other times he's uh, very critical. But mm-hmm. what I found striking about John, you know, if you follow him on Twitter, you just think this, or follow his life story or his or whatever, you think this guy is is off the wall you know this guy is erratic at at best yeah and um but then i i heard him speak at a conference uh the time i interviewed him in 2018 in the summer and uh you know he can if if he tries you know that i i do think he has a decent amount of wisdom in him and when he when he settles himself down enough to articulate it Mm -hmm. it you know i think it's actually it can be worthwhile and it can it is worthy of of a deeper conversation but getting him to kind of stay within the confines of like a rational, logical, articulate conversation can be difficult, but I, uh, I actually did enjoy my conversation with him as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. I mean, he's, uh, he's obviously super intelligent. There's no way he would have been able to do and achieve what he's done otherwise. And, um, and yeah, you know, he's, he's in, he's in his seventies. He's been around for a long time. Anybody like that is going to have, some wisdom that they can impart on you, whether or not you 
totally agree with them or disagree with them, but they're obviously going to have a lot of life experiences and things that they've thought about and things that they can present and ex expose to you that you may not have thought of otherwise. And so to me, that's always very valuable. Yeah, I agree. And also, I mean, not that he was ever one to give much of a shit, but if you're 78 or 76 or however, however, however old he is, I can imagine myself being uh, a loser, let's say, <laughs> at that time as well. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Zuby, what, uh, you know, you've been, I'm interested in your story and, uh, you know, we have limited time. So, uh, you know, if you can give me the kind of, not the Coles Notes version, because people, I think a, a lot of listeners, they've heard you on a couple of different podcasts now. They're probably familiar, but I'm just curious. I know you were born in the UK, raised in Saudi, mm -hmm. uh, live back in the UK now, if that's, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm in the yeah. UK now. So uh, what was it like growing up in Saudi? I was an expat. I lived in China for the last 10 years. You know, okay. so I, was, I was an expat there and I kind of, I know the expat life, the living like the neighborhoods and the schools and mm -hmm. how, how it all works. What was it like, uh, you know, being part of an expat family in Saudi Arabia? It was brilliant, to be honest with you. In a, in a short sentence, it was a very positive experience for me. Um, that where I grew up, I lived, in a, I lived in a great area, great friends with great families, went to a good school, had great teachers, um, and had, had a lot of overall positive experiences about it. Um, even venturing out, out of the community, you know, leaving, leaving the camp and going out into the city and stuff like that, whether that was for shopping or for anything else. My overall impression on Saudi is positive. My memories are positive. A lot of people don't like me saying that or they want me to come out and say all this bad stuff about the country that they're sort of expecting. But the, the truth is that I had a very positive experience and I'm very open and honest about that. And I'm not going to paint a false picture of what I personally experienced there during my lifetime. Yeah. But and, um, it, it, it was, sorry, but to, but to say, it, I mean, it was pretty different in a lot of aspects from growing up in the UK or perhaps growing up in, in the US or anywhere else. So there are certain things that were just sort of different and unique, which at the time I sort of thought like, okay, that's just how it is. But then now that I live in the UK or when I came back to the UK, it was like, oh, okay, that's actually kind of curious. That's different. Right. Even very minor things like the weekends being on different days, right? So in Saudi, the weekend is Thursday and Friday, whereas in most of the world, the weekend is Saturday and Sunday. So little things like that. The shops closing five times a day for prayers, uh, which is a bizarre concept to someone who's used to shopping in the UK or USA, right? You don't have to leave the shop so that they can shut her up in the middle of the day for 15 minutes. And then right. they'll do that again a couple hours later. But stuff like that, you know, you, you, get, you get used to quickly and you understand why it's like that and yeah you think whenever you're in, a, in a, any given country you've got to just sort of have a level of respect for the way that they do things and understand it yeah for sure how much did you know an upbringing like that contribute to you know for so for people that maybe don't follow you on on social media or whatever you know, I, I would just say simply that you're you know a free-thinking individual who's not afraid of expressing themselves and you know I think that's awesome. I, I wish there were more people that fell into <laughs> that category. It seems to be uh, somewhat in short supply these days, although, mm. you know, hopefully, hopefully growing. And, you know, you've received both praise and, and pushback for, for that. Mm -hmm. um, how much did growing up in that environment inform your views or put you in a position where you felt confident to express in this, in, in this particular case, kind of social political 
commentary? That's a good question. I don't think that growing up there specifically had an impact on why I do it. But in terms of the things I say and the way that I think, I think it's helped to give me a perspective to be able to see things from more perspectives than the average person can. So I have had heavy exposure to four very different cultures specifically. So I, my family background is originally from Nigeria. I was born in the UK. I'm a British citizen. I live in the UK. Um, I went to an American school for, from kindergarten up until fifth grade. And most of my teachers were American and I was surrounded by Americans. And I, majority of my followers on social media are America. I'm very tuned into what's going on in America. I've even got the accent to it. You a sound like an American. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I lived in Saudi Arabia for 19 years. So I can see, and, and beyond that, you know, I've traveled to, I think at the time of speaking, 33 different countries as well. So I've got a good global perspective, I think, on things, much more so than someone may have who hasn't had those opportunities or who hasn't really traveled around a lot. So on a lot of different issues, I can see the pros and cons in different ways. And I can see the things which are good and bad and or the things that are just just different without always necessarily even viewing it purely through a simple good and bad concept. So for example, it, and you can have this even with countries that are quite similar. So the UK and USA, in the grand scheme of things, people tend to look at those countries as being fairly similar. And they are in some ways, but they're also very different, even culturally, even in terms of the law, even in terms of the way things are structured and the way people think and the way people behave. They're quite different countries. Um, I think if we didn't all speak English, that might be more apparent, but you can certainly see it. I mean, to take some of the, to, to take it on a, like a very obvious and simple issue. Okay. Take something like uh, the second amendment. Okay. Mm -hmm. People in the UK do not under the average person in the UK does not understand the second amendment amendment whatsoever. Right. Mm -hmm. They just think guns are dangerous, ban them. Right. Just, they think it's that simple. And I can totally understand the Second Amendment. And in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm not American, but I, I, would su I support the Second Amendment, right? I think it's, um, I can understand the arguments against citizens owning guns, and it's not the norm in most countries around the world. It's not the norm in the UK or Europe or Australia, etc. So a lot of people in the UK, in, in quite an arrogant sense, I think, look at the US and just go like, oh, there's crazy Americans and their guns and this and that, and they sort of talk down on it. And it can happen in the inverse, right? You can have Americans who kind of look at the UK and they're like, oh my gosh, you guys can't even, you guys can't have guns. You guys are, you know, you're not even citizens, you're subjects of the, of the queen, et cetera. And I can understand both of those perspectives and they're both right to a degree and they're both wrong to a degree. Um, I, you know, and having these different experiences and then growing up in a place like Saudi Arabia, which is also very culturally different very different in terms of the, the laws, the belief systems, the way the, lots of these different factors. And, you know, I can, I can look at them all and I can look at them all in a critical sense. I can look at them all in a praiseworthy sense. I, I like all four countries and I like aspects of all four and the things of aspects of all four that I may be critical of. And 
it's just given me that perspective to sort of see it from the different angles rather than just seeing it from one mindset and thinking, okay, this is how it is in my country or in my area. And so this is just the best and this is how it should be everywhere. And there's no debate and there's no discussion to be had. And it's just that simple. So I think that um, me growing up in the way that I have has helped to give me that open, extra open-minded perspective and ability to think that, okay, it's not just the one size fits all isn't really the way to look at everything. Yeah, for sure. I relate to that a lot. And also, you know, when I would come home throughout the years, I would try to articulate to people that I felt the greatest culture shock when I would return home. Mm. And I think a part of that is because as you're, as you were kind of articulating there, the, if you don't ever spend any kind of significant amount of time outside of your where you grew up or where you were born, you're very much in a kind of bubble that you can't see, you know, mm-hmm. and you're, you're influenced and informed by the culture. Um, and even if you kind of recognize that to some degree, you don't really understand how it kind of influences you in a very, uh, you know, very subconscious way. And I would come home and I would, you know, and China, you know, again, kind of your same story as you, a lot of criticisms to be levied at China uh, by the West in particular. And I I don't disagree with them uh, in large part, but the younger generation in China, you know, let's say under 40 are extremely educated, worldly. They want to travel. They're very well put together. They're extremely ambitious. They're extremely hardworking. Um, And this kind of, it causes them to have a more objective framework for looking out at the world. You know, they, they're, they're just very curious. And even though there's an underwriting, extremely strong nationalism because they've been kind of propagandized for their entire existence, it's almost less than the cultural influence. Actually, I would say it is less than the cultural influence that I notice when I return home. Uh, just because they are curious what happens beyond their borders. And they kind of grew up in an environment where they were, where they rec- where they believed that the cultures beyond their borders were superior. And I know people might find that surprising because China is these days so kind of nationalistic, but it was they very much idolized uh, the West and the lifestyle that people in the West uh, have been leading. And that's why they're so ambitious to have it. And so what that kind of has done is give them a bit more of an objective view. And uh, so when I was returning home, I always found like people here were, were less, um, just less aware of what was happening outside their bubble. And it meant yeah. that, you know, they weren't, they, they, they went along with kind of the dominant uh, point of view more easily. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing about, you know, it's very difficult to speak about an, an entire country, but in a way, sure. countries, countries have personalities to a degree. I guess you could kind of say that's almost what a culture is. Uh, there are, you know, there's 330 million Americans. So it's hard to say, it's silly in a way to say Americans are like X or Americans are like this or Americans sure. are like that. Cause it's like, really, you're speaking for all of these people. But I think on average, say, for example, it would be fair to say that Americans are more insular than, say, people in the UK. And a big factor, and and there are some obvious reasons for this. Some are just, look at the size of the country, Mm -hmm. okay? If you live in America, if you live in the USA, you could happily, you could travel a lot 
and experience a lot without ever leaving your country, right? You, yeah. it's, it's huge. It's, it's massive. And you've got such a range. You've got all different climates, different terrain, different scenery. Like you could just travel throughout the USA for decades and you'll constantly be seeing things you haven't seen and even experiencing different cultures within American culture yeah. that you haven't experienced before. The UK is a lot smaller, right? The UK is, is smaller than Texas, Alaska, California, right? It's smaller than multiple states. And so, and you're also very geographically close to a lot of other countries. So in the US, you're close to, well, depending on where you live, you might not even be close to Canada or close to Mexico, right? You're far from everything. UK, you know, we're, we're on an island, but you're close to, within two hours, within two hours of flying, I can get to, I don't know, 30 countries, right? Something yeah. like that. So it's, so if I want to go to France or Germany or, or Sweden or Austria or Czech Republic or whatever, it's, it's very easy to do and it's very cheap to do. And as a result, I think people in the UK do travel more. And we've, of course, got the EU and the, even the, the well, we don't anymore now, but when we did, <laughs> right, you're, you're kind of more attached to other countries in a way, even from a political sense. Sure. So as a result of that, I would say on a very sort of average level, the average person in the UK probably has a better knowledge of other countries, at least to some degree, than the average American. Yeah. Um, and there and there are reasons for that. So it's you know there's a there are a lot of different things. And um, yeah, I don't know. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna send it back to you because <laughs> sure, I don't want to sure. I don't want to answer a question that's not being asked. Yeah. No, I I agree with everything you're saying. And just on the final point about kind of where you are now, and I, and I want to take it back to kind of how you started in a second. But you know, you brought up the Second Amendment. I'm from Canada and we recently, you know, there was a horrific uh, shooting in Nova Scotia, which is on the East Coast uh, last week, you know, mm. tw I think 20 dead, you know, just a horrible uh, tragedy. Um, and the prime minister uh, response to that was to ban, you know, 1500 different types of quote assault style uh, weapons. Mm -hmm. And, um, the it's it's always framed at least in canada because again like you were saying we don't have the second amendment yeah um the framing is always you don't need a clip of this size or a gun of this style for hunting you know mm. these guns are purely for you know killing as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time mm. and um the argument never comes up that the second amendment's not about hunting the second no. amendment is a recognition that even in democracies, tyrannical governments can manifest. And that's a, that's a genuine risk in democracies. And mm. the Second Amendment is meant to be a, to balance the power, to be a check on a, a tyrannical or, you know, an overly dictatorial uh, authoritarian government. Mm -hmm. It's not about hunting. And uh, what I appreciate, again, about kind of your foray, I know, I mean, I know, you know, you rap and you're into fitness and you've published, you know, CDs and books and stuff, but part of your foray into kind of the political dialogue is saying these somewhat unpopular, unconventional things um, and stimulating conversation over that. And I, th I think that's a tremendously valuable thing for anybody with any kind of audience to do these days, because this, these are important aspects of the conversation that just simply are not happening enough in the mainstream. I think maybe they're becoming so, but you know, I, I appreciate that you're a, you're willing to go there despite 
what pushback you may get for it. Yeah, thank you, man. And it's interesting. I mean, because I've been this way for a very long time, but it wasn't until 2018 that I kind of revealed it to the world and sort of showed people that side of me. Because I mean, I've been on Twitter since 2009, been on social media since, I don't know, 2004 or something. I saw some old YouTube vids. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I've been on, and I've, yeah, I don't know. And I've been making music for well over a decade as well. And I used to always sort of keep those thoughts in the personal realm. So anyone who knows me personally, family, friends, et cetera, we'd have all these conversations and everything like that. And then in 2018, I just started to, for various reasons, I started to use my account to just talk more about certain things that I thought were interesting or share different perspectives and get conversations going and stuff like that. And that has you know, massively grown now to a following of hundreds of thousands of people. And I do, and it's, it's weird. I mean, I didn't know that the way I think was unique, right? I I didn't know it was unique. I always kind of thought like, okay, I'm having these thoughts and whatever. And most people probably sort of think the same way. And then as I started to open up about that more and to just, just have these conversations in public, I realized, oh, wow, okay, this is sort of, people are really liking this, right? That people think that this is something special or that my perspective is interesting. People want to invite me on their podcasts and interview me and stuff like that because I'm coming with a unique perspective and way of articulating things, which I guess is relatively rare, much much rarer than I previously thought it was. Mm-hmm. So I think perhaps I kind of sold myself short in that regard. But um. Yeah, ultimately, I mean, my my goal fundamentally is to have a positive impact on people and to inspire other people and also to encourage people to be to be honest, to be authentic, etc. Um I'm not trying to sort of force my vision on the world down on people or anything, but I do like to I enjoy conversations. And in my music as a as a full-time musician, one part of my brain that I felt like wasn't totally getting satisfied was the conversational aspect, right? It's why I wanted to start my own podcast and do do stuff like what we're doing now, have these conversations, because I think that putting these ideas out into the ether and getting people to, to talk and have conversations, et cetera, I think ultimately only good can come from that, right? Only good can come from that. And ideally, this can happen across different lines. So I'm, I don't, I'm not super political, right? I'm not like super duper political, but I like to understand the way people think, why they believe what they believe, why they do what they do, say what they say, et cetera. So that naturally, that curiosity does naturally cross into the realm of politics or occasionally religion or morality or whatever it might be. And I want to, rather than just being sort of, you know, I've got my own personal views on things and I'm not afraid to say what they are, but I like to get those conversations going. And one great thing I'm really happy about with my social media audience is that it's truly diverse, right? In, in, the, realest, in the realest sense, like mm-hmm. I can start a conversation about almost any topic and it will just take on a life of its own, right? Some people will agree, some people will disagree, some people have this perspective, some people have that. And yeah, sometimes it can, uh, sometimes it can get a bit out of hand. Sometimes it can get a little bit too angry and hostile and stuff, which is not what I try to, I I don't try to indulge that or recommend people go that way, but it's kind of cool the way over time it's sort of morphed into this. I almost, my Twitter is almost a forum now. (laughs) Like I I can have days. I I haven't tweeted. I I took 48 hours off Twitter 
and I was looking at it today and it's like I did over a hundred thousand impressions on the weekend despite not even tweeting anything. And this is just people sort of conversating in the comment sections. It's just, it's kind of like a forum yeah. and it's, it's like, okay, well that's not necessarily what I set out to do, but it's kind of cool that it's become that and people feel that they can have conversations there and I'm not going to just, you know, ban or block people because they dissent or whatever it is, you know, and, I, th I think uh, hopefully, yeah, I, I think in the grand scheme of things that a lot of good comes from that. And I do get DMs and messages and et cetera from people who suggest that, yeah, that is the case. A hundred percent. I just think, you know, we're living in a time where a lot of people look out on the world and they think, oh, man, this just doesn't really add up or this, you know, things should be different or, you know, they, they, it doesn't square with them. And then mm -hmm. they hear a lot of the talking voices and they say, how come nobody's addressing this stuff? And so I think, when people step out and they have the courage really and the skill of course to articulate yourself and because you know i think to articulate yourself well and clearly you do have to do a lot of work on yourself you know uh, yeah. and for, especially for your perspective that you reference to be of value to people i think the more time you put into kind of uh, understanding yourself and and that perspective and the better you are at articulating it the more people are going to respond to it positively but i think people are just looking out and saying are recognizing the value of people that step out with courage and say, you know, I'm going to speak my mind and it kind of some of the, the, the questions that I have or the curiosity I've have, I've, I have or the truths that I'm dancing around if they're not completely set in stone yet. And I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to put myself in a class or, or be characterized one way or the other, you know, are you right or left? Are you this or that? Like, no, you ask me a question and I'll, give you my answer as I'm currently thinking about it. And that says nothing about my answer to any other question. It, it's yeah. the answer to that question. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think there's a huge hunger for that. And so I think people that are, are stepping out and have the courage to do it um, are, are gaining an audience. And I think that's, that's definitely a part of, uh, of what you've been doing. And one of the kind of related to that, what I'd like to add, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with, and I'm no exception, is you you know let's say you come out of high school and or university whichever whichever places your kind of finish of formal education um and you you look out on the world it's a big mess i've got a lot of questions i'm you know i i don't like how this goes i like how this goes whatever whatever your perspective is and you orient yourself a certain way uh toward going in a certain direction that you think may be beneficial and maybe you're you're correct and a path opens up or maybe you have a few false starts or you try a few different things and you know you have to find your way that way mm -hmm. you know with you you mentioned having kind of gotten into music um, and fitness actually if i'm not mistaken kind of at a, a pretty young age mm -hmm. and i was looking at some of your youtube videos and i think like the earliest one on youtube is 13 years ago <laughs> and you know you look a bit younger but you know you're there you got the zuby gear on you're, you're <laughs> rapping you do whatever and yeah. um you know, what, what was it that led you to, um, to pursuing that path at a young age? Like you're looking out at the world, you're introspective, you know, uh, why did you want to go down that path? Why, why, you know, why that in particular? You mean music specifically? Yeah. Or if I'm yeah. missing anything, like whichever path, however you characterize your path, what was okay. it that, that, that kind of gave you the confidence to go down that one? 
Yeah. So, I mean, with music specifically, so I started rapping when I was in university. So I went to Oxford University at the age of 18 to study computer science. And in my first or second term there, I just started rapping as a hobby. I'd been a hip hop fan for a while and I just started writing stuff down and, you know, recording it into my phone and just doing some basic stuff. And people liked it. People responded well to it. So I started recording actual songs on beats. I, I made a couple of songs and just put them out via email and uploaded them to this before SoundCloud and YouTube was just coming up and there was a website called uh, SoundClick and then MySpace. And I used to, you know, put my songs up there and get feedback and stuff like that. And then I released my first album when I was in my second year of university. So I released my first album when I was 19 and yeah, I sold, I ended up selling 3000 copies of it independently without a record label, without any marketing budget, <laughs> just uh, off of my own hustle. Nice. And I think that was the stage where I realized that I could do something. I could do something with that. And I was getting positive feedback and I was getting people saying, yeah, man, like what you're doing is it's important in some way, right? It's having an it's having an impact on people. It's having an influence on people. I could see that both offline and online. And so after I graduated, I um I took a year out and did my music full time. I released a second album, and then I moved to London and I actually worked in, and I worked in the corporate world for three years. So from two thousand eight to two thousand eleven, I, I was in the corporate world, and um, yeah, I just felt like. I feel like I have a calling, you know, I feel like God has put me on earth for a specific reason. Funnily enough, my name actually means God's decision. That's the translation of it. And, um, is that your like birth name? Yeah. The full, my, the full version of my name, Zuby is the short version of it, but my full name means God's decision. What is it? And, What's the full version? Uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I feel like I have a very specific, not just feel, I know I have a specific purpose on this earth and I am working every day to fulfill it. And some of that comes through my music. It all started out with just the music. And the reason I have branched out into other things is because I know that I have other things that I can offer. So there are some people I won't necessarily be able to reach directly through my music, but you know what? Maybe I can reach them through a podcast, through an interview, public speaking. Maybe I can help them with their fitness and their mindset and their health and their nutrition through my book. There's a lot of things that I am able to speak on in which I have knowledge and expertise on. And why should I keep all that away from the public, right? That's the wrong way to do it. That's selfish of me to do it that way, right? If I have knowledge that could help people or I have a perspective that could possibly help people, I feel like it is my ethical duty. It's now my moral duty to put that out there, right? If I, if I've, can write a fitness book and people are suffering with their health and their confidence, et cetera, because they're out of shape and they don't know the right foods to eat and they don't know how to train and they don't know how to work out and they're struggling because of that. It's my ethical duty to help them. And how can I help them? Oh, if I write a book, I can actually help a lot of people. Yeah, sure. I can also, um, I can also monetize that and there's nothing wrong with monetizing things. And I think, think you should, but I can, I can help those people, right? If I've got that knowledge and that ability to help people, then I must do it. Um, and that's really the way I look at it. And that's what drives me. And I know that if I were to do something sort of more normal, so when, when I did work 
um, as a management consultant, I just knew, look, there's no way I can impact a million people through this. I can't, right? I can, I can do well, I can make money for myself and my future family, and I can have a level of stability and security, et cetera, but I can't leave a dent on the world. You know, I want to leave a dent on the world when, when I don't want to die anytime soon, but when I die, I want millions of people to be upset that I die. <laughs> Not because I want millions of people to be upset, but, you know, but I want to have an impact on the world that that is great. And that might sound crazy to some people. That's like, whoa, that's super ambitious. That's a, you know, but I know I have the potential. I know I have the potential to do that. And I know that I'm impacting hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know, maybe I've impacted a million people already in some way, shape or form. But um, I think it's my job to fulfill that potential. I've been given certain gifts, a certain mind, certain abilities, a certain level of even dedication and determination. And so I can't, I can't squander that, you know, I right. can't squander that. And that's really where at a deep level, that's where my sort of motivation and hustle and drive comes from. Yeah. I, I resonate with, with a lot of what you just said. And I, I think, I think maybe we all struggle with this, uh, maybe not so much people that are only on the sidelines judging, but I think, you know, an aspect of, of doing that, expressing yourself, can you can wonder sometimes is this a, a manifestation of ego right am i just expressing this to feel good you know for the accolades for the praise for the likes whatever but i think one of the things you touched on was i think and this you know we don't have enough time to really dig into this but I, I'll, I'll just drop it anyways but when you when you behold or encounter or discover truth i think it's it's almost like a like a a good to express it or articulate it mm -hmm. you know rather than keeping it bottled up not that you have to express everything but i think you know i think that's an element of truth in that you you express it or become it once you fully realize it and i i think even though you could argue that any outward expression could be a manifestation of ego mm -hmm. um i don't think it's as absolutely I don't think it's as absolute or rigid as that. And I, I kind of agree with what you said and that if you have this potential and if you have this purpose, then I see nothing wrong with, uh, you know, amplifying the shit out of it. So, yeah, as long as you. it's positive, as long yeah. as it's positive, you know, yeah, 100%. Agree, but yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, you, you finish, you finish. I was going to say, if your uh, lifetime ambition is to like murder people or something, then yeah. 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 <laughs> then, Keep that to yourself. Keep that yeah, to yeah. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as what you're trying to do is, uh, is good. Then, yeah. Uh, well, speaking of, uh, of good to the last little part I want to discuss you about, uh, discuss with you, uh, was of course, you know, Bitcoin, you've been talking a lot about it and, uh, you know, people in the Bitcoin community, um, I think we are, we are of the opinion that, this is kind of a, an inevitability. And when I say we, I shouldn't say we, like I think um, this is a type of truth kind of reflecting on what I just said that I think will assert itself uh, on the world. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, you know, when, when people, um, when other people that are into other kind of domains begin to see it and begin to articulate it, then it's always interesting to connect with them uh, and, and kind of understand why. And so I guess my, my main question for you is, what about Bitcoin is is interesting to you? Why do you uh, see value in it and, you know, have been, uh, you know, dropping a little bit on Twitter here and there and, and talking with the, with people in the in the space? Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. Where do, where do I start with this? <laughs> what appeals to me about Bitcoin is 
Bitcoin's a funny thing because what appeals, what I find appealing about it and what I think most people who are into it do to some degree is the same thing that puts people off it, right? So what I consider a pro, somebody else might consider a con. So the whole concept of having a limited, rare, um, immutable, unhackable, not backed or created by any government form of currency is hugely appealing to me, perhaps because of my worldview or my socio-political views, right? Other people, that puts them off, right? The fact that well, it's not backed by anyone. The sure. government's not involved, right? That scares them. Oh, it's, it's limited in number, right? You can't make more of them. That's terrible. I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, <laughs> so, so the, the whole, in terms of being an actual form of, of money in, in the true sense and the proper sense of what money is supposed to be, then I think Bitcoin is one of the best versions of it ever created, right? Um, it has a lot of the properties of certain precious metals or things like gold, but at a better level in terms, you know, you can't carry around gold bars everywhere with you. Um, it's selling gold is not particularly easy. Um, and you can make more, you can't make more gold, but you can mine more gold. There's way more gold that hasn't been mined every year. I don't know the numbers, but a lot of tons and tons of gold gets mined up every year mm -hmm. and there will keep being, keep being more of it. So if you look at it from the sort of digital gold perspective, as I know a lot of people do, then there seems to be a clear case there. But um, in terms of actually solving a real world problem, and again, as someone who's very internationally minded, the having a currency or, or forms of currency, which can be sent across borders at high speed without the need for a middleman and with the, without the ability for, you know, sure, fraud can be done in different ways, but certain types of fraud being possible, things like chargebacks, et cetera and having very low latency and very low fees as well, very low costs, that fulfills a very specific purpose, right? There is, there is a value in that. Internationally, the number of, the amount of billions, possibly even trillions that are sent in remittances is crazy. And people pay 20%, 30% fees through companies like Western Union or even if you use PayPal, PayPal might take a I don't know, 5%, 6% chunk of whatever is being sent. And that shouldn't be the case, right? There, there does need to be, there is a legitimate use case for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in, in general. In those cases, I think Bitcoin may work better as a, a store of value, as a lot of people um, discuss it. But um yeah, all of these things are interesting to me. And also as someone who comes from a computer science background, even just as a, as a technology, as the first digital thing that's ever been created, which has scarcity, mm. is super interesting to me because it doesn't sound like it should be, doesn't sound like it should be possible because prior to Bitcoin, it never was possible, right? If I send you a file, whether it's an MP3 or a movie or a picture or whatever, I don't then not have it, right? I'm just creating copies and you've got infinite copies. You can make infinite copies of whatever digital file you want. So having the concept of, okay, this is a, a currency and it's also a technology where you've got this distributed ledger and you can't, you can't copy it 
and you, you can't sort of hack it. And all, all from, from both the technological aspect and, and the economic aspect and the investment aspect and the political aspect, all of them, all of them appeal to me. Yeah. All of them appeal to me, right? I'm, I'm quite a libertarian person. I'm not like a hundred percent anarcho-capitalist type, but my leanings are generally quite libertarian. I think that governments do too much and I think that they do too much stuff badly. And I like the idea of people being sovereign and being able to control their own stuff from their money to their behavior, et cetera. And so, yeah, Bitcoin to me was for all the above reasons, it's, it's a fairly easy sell to someone with, with my sort of world perspective. And so to me, that's why, uh, that's why I'm interested in it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. And just the last kind of question on Bitcoin, but where it seems like it came pretty intuitively to you, both because of your computer science background and because of your kind of libertarian leanings and world life experiences, et cetera. Where do you, uh, you know, how do you continue to uh, refine your understanding? Are there resources mm. that, you, that you go to to kind of um, continue down the rabbit hole, as it were? Yeah, I mean, on a, on a regular basis, not that much. Um, but there was a time when I was, so 20, late 2017, all through 2018 and a lot of 2019, I was doing a lot of research, reading multiple, I read multiple books, listening to podcasts, uh, watching YouTube videos, spending a lot of time on crypto Twitter and all that. And yeah, that helped me to a lot of that stage was my sort of proper research to really understand the the f fundamentals and to understand even you know the, the market cycles and the the way that the price fluctuates and why there, there, there was a lot of there i went through a lot of research you know probably dozens if not hundreds of hours of sort of really looking into it and seeing okay, you know, and challenging my own beliefs and seeing, okay, what's, what are the best arguments against it and seeing mm -hmm. what people are saying on the opposite side and everything like that. And now, I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm, I don't like, I'm into Bitcoin. I'm not like hardcore. I'm not like a sort of hardcore, my world re revolves around Bitcoin kind of person. Um, I do know people like that who, you know, Bitcoin is really, it's very, very fundamental to their entire career and everything. Uh -huh. And, um, and that's cool, but, um, I'm not in that deep. I do too many other things for one thing to sort of become the totality sure. of what I talk about like that. But, um, yeah, I, I follow, I follow people in the space. Um, I've had podcasts on my own podcast. I've, I've appeared on some pretty big Bitcoin podcasts. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I I keep in the loop, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's sensible, right? Not it's not going to be the main thing for everybody, right? But I yeah. think you know you represent <clears throat> a type of person that has open eyes and objective thinking, and so when you come across something that you think represents value or that's unique or that has a potential to have positive impact, mm -hmm. you spend time on it, un try to understand it, you know, keep it on your mental bookshelf. But mm -hmm. you know, obviously, you've got other ambitions and pursuits, and I, you know, I think that's what. Uh, it will become for a lot of people because a lot of people aren't going to go crazy over how it works and the potential implications in the next five, 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. But they'll understand that this is something worthy of, of keeping track of and trying to understand a little bit and, and keeping it in the mix. Yeah. So, that's what uh, I tell to, that's what I tell to people, even people who are skeptical. I'm like, look, I recommend, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you to buy it. Right. But I would recommend 
looking into this thing. I have a general rule in life that if a lot of very intelligent people are interested in something, it's probably worth having a look at. Yeah. Probably worth having a look at. I think that's a real good hack for determine. Yeah. For determining what to have a look at is if a lot of super smart people are into it, it's probably worth a look. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the whole concept can't be given some of the people who are interested in invested in and positive about Bitcoin, including some of the smartest, richest, most successful people in the world. It's it's at least worth having a look at, right? Like, okay, why, why is, why are all these people talking about this thing? (laughs) Even if you you come to the conclusion that uh, it's too risky, I don't want to get involved. That's totally fine. Yeah. But you should probably... Yeah, at the very least, it should stop you from dismissing it outright without having yeah. a look at it first, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Zuby, I know you got to roll. So this is the, the last part. I finish every episode with uh, a very quick word association. So I just say a word and you tell me the first thing that comes to your head. You, okay, you down with ahead. that? Yeah, let's do it. I'll try to stay out of trouble. <laughs> Democracy. Uh, okay. Government. Bad. Human rights. Flexible. Violence. Bad. Trump. Good. Ego. Uh, keep it in check. FOMO. Don't do it. Wealth. Build it. Privacy. Coin. Hate speech. Doesn't exist. Gold. Uh, solid. Guns. Uh, <laughs> um, why, why, do, why, am I, why do I not have a feel? Uh, nothing comes to my mind. <laughs> Um, guns. Uh, 2A. Revolution. Nah. Socialism. Bad. Family. Love it. Inequality. Uh, not a problem. Hell. Real. Liberty. Good. Energy. Uh, can't be created or destroyed. Bitcoin. Good. That's it, Zuby. Uh, <laughs> you did great man I, uh, super fun chatting with you man i know we could chew up a few more hours but uh, i know you got lots of other stuff to be at so maybe we'll pick it up again some other time but uh, awesome just want to say I pre- you know i appreciate the work you're doing i appreciate your perspective the courage it takes to put yourself out there and get involved in in these uh, conversations and uh, just keep up the great work man i look forward to seeing your your career progress i appreciate it bro you have a good one yeah you too brother take care take care bye-bye bye